Todd Adams. This is Kathy Adams. Welcome back to yet another episode of Zen Parenting Radio. This is episode number 238. So we're making our way in the 200, sweetie. And um, what is Zen Parenting Radio? Do you want to know? Mm-hmm. So do I. Uh, it's a, a discussion between a spiritual, emotional mom and a logical, practical dad. We discuss transformational wisdom, everyday challenges, and pop culture to encourage laughter, self-awareness, and empathy. We have three daughters, ages 7, 10, and 12, and our goal is to give you the resources to become a better parent, but more importantly, to become a better you. And always remember our motto, which is from Dr. Dan Siegel, the best predictor of a child's well-being is a parent's self-understanding. So we have a power-packed show. Here's the bullet points. You ready? Punchy. Punchy power-packed show. We're going to do an update on the conference with people we love. Um, and we are going to talk a little bit about a blog I read about a dad who went to a, a thing with his fifth-grade daughter about puberty and periods. This guy's my hero. I finally read that article, sweetie. The one that I sent you? Yes. I knew, or I, I think I posted it. I knew you would love it just because oh. he has the same attitude. Yeah, you? this guy. I love that dude. We're going to talk, the majority of the show is probably going to be about the Sheryl Sandberg thing. Yeah. Even though I haven't read it. She, just to explain what the Sheryl Sandberg thing is, she uh, put a post up on Facebook, I think on Wednesday, regarding her husband's death a month ago. Mm-hmm. And then lastly, uh, Caitlyn Jenner is kind of in the news. And I printed something off that I think is going to help me and hopefully some listeners. Did you know that she won the ESPN uh, Arthur Ashe Award? I did hear that. Um, And she'll probably accept it. It usually happens around All-Star break for baseball, so probably in July. And can I tell this very quick story? Because I think it's very relevant to what we're talking about. So there were a bunch of people, not a bunch. There was, I'll just focus on this one guy. Because most of the outpouring about Caitlyn Jenner was amazing, you know, a lot of support, even from the media. Um, but this one guy posted this thing about let's not throw around the word bravery and courageous so easily. And he posted a picture of two people fighting in uh, World War II. Sure. Did you read this? No. So he comes to find out that this guy, this guy who wrote this, ended up retracting. And saying, I want to show you a picture I posted yesterday. And he said, actually, I found out that it was a kind of like a like a claymation, like somebody had um, carved it mm-hmm. and it looked really real. The picture? The picture. Okay. And he's like, and I found it online, just randomly found it on Got Google. It. And he found out the guy who did it, hmm. the reason he carves those things is because many years ago he was beaten almost to death hmm. because he's a cross-dresser. Wow. And then to pull himself out of that grief, mm-hmm. he started carving these replicas of World War II Holy vets. Cow. And then this guy's like, and I chose this picture. Out of the millions of, pictures of pictures. World War II so combat he, veterans. So he kind of just stopped it there, kind of like, yeah. I have learned yeah. what this means to the world. Right. Um, so isn't that interesting? It is terribly interesting. And uh, with all due respect to every, you know, the word bravery can me- take on many different yes, meanings. Yes. And to say Caitlyn Jenner isn't brave would be an, something very weird to me. Well, exactly, because I think he was kind of referencing the the Arthur Ashe, yeah. because that goes to someone who's courageous. Yeah. Well, I don't know. H- yeah. How can we not yeah. 
And that doesn't undermine anybody who fights for our country or any other person in the world that fights for their country. Or who does anything amazing, for that matter. Right. I know. It's interesting. But he, I liked that nobody had to call him out. He He called called himself himself out. And you want to know why you like that, sweetie? Because it's self-awareness. It's self-awareness. I know. You dig that. I dig that. Dig that. Danny Bonaducci. No, it's not. It's from uh, Jerry Maguire. He's like, I dig that about you. (laughs) That's when he and Jerry are in a big fight. Because that's when he's saying, help me, help you. Help Help me, me. help you. Help me. I think there's some. Dig that about you. Dig that about you, Jerry. um, Cuba Gooding is what makes that movie. I love Tom Cruise in that movie. Not all the time. But I, I love you, even though you, you look like Tom Cruise. I am out here for you. You don't know what it's like to be me out here for you. It is an up-at-dawn, pride-swallowing siege that I will never fully tell you about, okay? God, help me. Help me, Rod. Help me. Help you. Help me. Me help you. <laughs> Sorry. You are hanging on by a very thin thread. <laughs> and I dig that about you. <laughs> no contract? I help me. I help you. Help everybody. <laughs> That's my That's my man. Hey, I'm happy to entertain. Uh, that was good. Um, okay. Rod. So can I uh, quickly uh, talk about my hero, Josh Meisner, who wrote this article about his daughter? Of course. Okay. Oh, we didn't talk oh, about Kickstarter. Oh, wait, no. We got to get Kickstarter first because we have to we have to say our backers. All right. Uh, do you know where we left off? I think so. Let me see. I think the old one is up there too. It, you know what? It is. We got to 22. Okay. So I think we are good. I can do it. You ready? Yeah. So, so who are these people? The So the people we're about to read are our backers in our Kickstarter project, which is for the Zen Parenting Radio Conference with People We Love that is happening March 11th and 12th, 2016. Um, it's happening here in Chicago. We're so excited about it. And we decided to launch this campaign for a few reasons. Number one, to start building our community. We didn't want to wait until the end of the year. We wanted to have some super more momentum around this. We also wanted to find our vendors and sponsors and anybody who maybe can't attend but wanted to donate to the cause because they knew that – you know, they've been listening to the show a long time and they knew that this would be a transformational weekend for mm. people. Or you can donate and get your tickets right now. Which really is, to me, kind of all the same thing because yeah. if you buy your ticket now, it helps us in the long yeah, term. It supports us. So if you know you're going to come, get your ticket. Right. Because there's a few things that happen. Number one, then you're done. And once the time comes, you're already good. But you get VIP status. You can, um, you make sure that you get a seat in Shafali's breakout session. If you want one, you have your ticket to Todd and my pre-conference workshop on, on Friday night, which is going to be great. And you're just, it, it donates to the cause plus you're set. And if you know you cannot come, but you love our show and you want to help us, you can make a donation. That's right. All right, so, so let's start it Number out. 23 is Audra Stanley. Our friend Audra. Thank you, Audra. Number 24 is Gina Mackey. That's the macker. Number 25 is Liz Buswick. Yeah. 
and Liz and her um, and Karen, who are always in our virtual retreats, they're coming together and they're flying in from different places. Nice. <clears throat> and Dita and Paul Delu. Deeds. Yes. And 27, D.D. McCabe. Deeds. 28, Scott Blumenshine. That's a guy from my, that's a guy from my men's group. Nice. 29, Sheila. Oh, Sheila. Who sang dun, dun, that song, dun, dun, sweetie? Uh, Ready for the World. How do you know that? That's I don't know. just ridiculous. I don't know. I just have crazy things in my head. Um, number 30, Sandy. Sandy. Where's my... Uh, I'm not ready because I want to try to find Oshila. Okay, I... should I wait? When's Sheila coming? <laughs> it's coming. Sheila! Just wait, next. How many people in this world know that Ready for the World <laughs> made that song other than my wife? That's crazy. Do you, I, I have a story why I know. Who but, did I not clap for? Um, you did not clap for Sandy. Oh, Sandy. And then uh, Sandra Fazio. The Fazer. Yes. Sandra, thank you. Okay, so I'm going to have my first problem with pronunciation. It's Victoria, and I think it's Zebert. The Zebes. Yes. And then our friend Aaron Taylor. Aaron. And then I'm going to have another pronunciation. And I know Megan because she and I talk via email. It's either Leahy or Lehi. I'm calling calling Leahy. Yeah. But Megan, I know who you are. And then last night, um, a man named Will H. Smith donated. Will Smith donated to our campaign? Not not the Will Smith you're thinking of. Oh, okay. But a nice uh, guy who donated to our campaign, and we appreciate it. So thank you for listening to that part. It's important for us to thank our partners or our backers. And if you want to get your name read, just even if you give a buck, we still read your name. That's right. Well, and here's the thing. That's – this is what makes it. So these are the people who – not just our – we're not viewing it like they're handing us money. These are the people – the majority of these people are coming to the conference. Yeah. So, you know – They're getting something tangible out of it. And they – we consider them backers. Like mm-hmm. these are the people that are helping us get things done. And then didn't one of our speakers, John O'Sullivan, didn't he just make an offer? Oh, yeah. So earlier this week he emailed us and said – for anybody that um, gets over the 200 level, which means you buy a ticket to the conference, right. um, he will throw in a signed book of uh, his signed book, Changing mm-hmm. the Game. Yep. So it's just another little And sweetener. you get well, Kathy's book, you get VIP seating, and you get uh, um, you get to get in the conference. It's kind of one of those things where if you jump in early, you just get a lot of stuff. Yeah. And so if you know you're going to do it, do it. I call it free stuff. <laughs> a lot of, it's a lot of swag. Free stuff for a little bit of money. It's a lot of swag. Swag. Um, um, like on uh, Parks and Rec, um, Aziz. What's Why am I losing Aziz names? Tom? Part. Tom. He has that uh, shop called Rent-A-Swag. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think he's underutilized in that show. I said that to you. I think he's funnier than he is in that show. Well, you know what? He's really funny, and people play well off of him. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? Like um, Jean Raffio's sister. And Tom are really funny together. About 1% of the people out there know what you're talking about. But that 1%. <laughs> that is not true. There are so many people who watch Parks and Rec. Eh, I don't think it's that many. I do. Um, so this guy wrote this blog. And it's called um, What Happened When a Daughter Asked Her Dad to – where is it? Oh, let me find it. 
what happened when a dad asked her dad asked her dad to explain puberty and periods so this guy his name is Josh Meisner he's a fifth he has a fifth grade daughter and at the school there was an event attended uh, called Girls Night Out, which was described as a p- program to offer information on their growing up process, as well as some preparation for the changes that will be taking place in students' lives and their bodies. The question is, why did he go and not his wife? And his answer is, because his daughter asked him to. Now, I wonder if he would have gone if his daughter didn't ask him to, but it doesn't matter. doesn't matter. Daughter asked him to, and he says, damn right, I'm going to support my daughter through these changes and through this kind of what some people think are is a very uncomfortable evening with your right. daughter. And he says, if my daughter trusts me enough to ask me to accompany her to a knowingly com- uncomfortable event, then that's the kind of trust I wanted to continue nurturing because it is that trust that will keep our communication flowing freely later in life. God bless this man. Um, so he walks into the room and what does he see? Well, it's all moms, of course. All moms. Right. And which, you know, but the thing is, is you get that. I get it. Right. I get it. And and if JC or Cameron had their fifth grade thing, you would be the first one yeah. that would say, Okay, obviously I'm gonna take her. Yeah. But here's the thing. If us dads can find the strength to maybe accompany our wife with our daughters, because it takes away, I don't want to say the stigma, it takes away, the only way to get through something is to talk about it and to create an awareness of it. And for dad not to be present, it sets the stage for the next 10 years of their life. Okay, this is mama's territory, talking about sex, talking right. about boys. And if you go there, because I've had these conversations with my daughter and it's uncomfortable, but I do it anyways. Right. So anyways, it's easy for me to point fingers and I'm pointing fingers back at myself as well. We as dads need to take a more active role in the changing of our daughters as they grow into puberty. Well, and and again, I'm so close to this because um, because I talk about this a lot with kids. And so a lot of the language, I it doesn't bother me mm. in the least um, because there's women who struggle talking about this too. Yep. And- and I, so I'm, the reason I'm saying that is because I know this is not necessarily the way everyone feels because we're not always talking about our periods, et cetera, you know, out loud very often. But that's like an onion we have to peel because really somewhere along the line, we were taught that it was dirty or we were taught that you don't talk about it or we were taught that it was something to maybe not be literally ashamed of. Mm-hmm. But when you hide your stuff away and you pretend that periods don't occur yeah. or that I don't want to bother anyone with my stuff, that in itself is language enough for your children yep. where they learn this is something secret and this is something I'm not supposed to talk about. And 51% of the population gets their period. Yep. So it's ridiculous that we can't have an, a com- open, an open conversation about this. He said, I announced that that if I, as a father, as a parent, treat topics like this as if they are taboo, then why should my daughter feel comfortable talking to me about them? No thanks, I said. I want my daughter to feel like she's normal and natural. So I talked about periods, talked about showing the importance of charting cycles. I assured my little girl, telling her that just before starting her period, she might feel like friends and family are suddenly annoying and intolerable. And that's all right, because many girls do. I told her that she might get her period tomorrow or she might get it five years or more from now. But no no matter what, when it happens, she's still 100% perfectly normal. And then this is the last one I'll read because it's the most important. Lastly, I guaranteed my daughter that I would be available anytime she needs 
me to buy tampons or pads for her, but then I also reminded her that someday when she feels like she's ready for a relationship, that any boy worth her time will feel the same. Any guy too ashamed to tell the world he has a girl with a working uterus (laughs) at home is not worth her time or attention. God bless this man. So what he's saying there is parents, those of you who have sons, you can educate them about what happens with a, to a woman when she goes through puberty. One of the most important parts, this band that I um, do this these sex talks with at the schools, I talk with the girls and he talks with the boys, um, but he talks to the boys about girls mm. and I talk to the girls about boys yeah. because we have to know the other, side. the other side. We have to have an understanding or else we create stories in our head. And I will say that a lot of uh, men don't, know some basic things. Basic things. Like how long does a period go for? Right. Through this article, it's three to seven days. Now, I think it might even be more than that. No, it's, and the thing is, is it it could be anywhere Mm -hmm. in there, you know, like that's the thing that I, you know, we talk to girls about all the time is there is no normal. There's only average. How much blood is lost during a period? I had no freaking clue. Mm -hmm. Do you? Well, again, there's only average. Right. And, and even the word blood, it, it is blood, but it's an end Endometrian lining is yeah. what it is. It's your body has for that month created the possibility that if a sperm and an egg meet, that it can be nurtured in your body. Yeah. When that doesn't happen, which is the majority of our life, right. you know, it's very rare that we're pregnant. Yeah. Then your body releases that endometrian layer. Yeah. So if you and I'm not saying that to hide the fact that it's blood or that it's red, but when you are able to explain that, yeah. then you don't feel Think about what the word blood brings up in people. Mm-hmm. This is just your body letting go of what it doesn't need. Yeah, and that takes some of the edge off yeah, of it. Yeah, yeah. And we're not even trying to like make up new words. It's about this is the truth about what this is. Mm-hmm. Last question. How often should you change your pad or tampon? I got no clue. Yeah. Um, as a dad, I don't know if my daughter's ever going to ask me that question, but I kind of feel like I should be prepared in case she does. Well, this is why you should be prepared. If you are going somewhere with our girls and they're older yeah. and you're going to be gone for eight days, you may want – or eight days, eight hours, you may want to make sure you have those things. Right. That's why those things are important. Yeah. If you're going to go to Chicago for the day, you may want to ensure that you have those things. Yeah. So – it's not always about that they're going to ask you. Mm-hmm. It's so you can be prepared. Yeah. And that when you go to the store, one of the easiest things, dads who are listening to this, is going to your girls, opening their bedroom door when mm-hmm. you know, and saying, I'm going to the store. Do you need me to pick up anything? Mm-hmm. You know, Do you need me to pick up pads, tampons? Use the words yeah. so they don't have to. And I think a lot of guys out there are even afraid to say those words out loud I to know. themselves in the mirror. We got to practice. There is a stigma that us guys have against... The menstru- menstrual cycle. So tell me about that. Talk to me. I don't know. It's just, it's taboo. And it's your business. It's not my business. It's your <laughs> business. I understand how it works. Female body is a crazy, mystical, mysterious, weird thing that I don't know that much about. That all men want to do is get that, close to. That all men, remember John Travolta and she's having a baby and she, he's She's ta- having a baby, John Travolta. No, uh, look who's talking. Look who's talking. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Joe Geronimo. Joe Geronimo. Um, and he's talking to Mikey, who's like the little yeah. infant. Yeah. And he was just born. Like he's like an infant. He's yeah. like a day old. Yeah. And he goes, it's so funny. He's talking to Mikey. He's like, it's so funny about girls. You spend nine months trying to get out and then you spend the rest of your life trying to get back in. <laughs> Anyways, I know. Um, so I, I, thank you, Josh Meisner. I, I, I'm just very pleased that you wrote this blog. So yes, it, it just it gives us 
you know, it's got to be some dude who says, I'm going to do this. And I'm doing it. Yeah. I don't know about you guys, but I'm going to do this. Do you want to go to uh, Sheryl Sandberg or do you want to go to the Caitlyn Jenner? Uh... I think we kind of talked about Caitlyn Jenner, but you want to talk about the transgender So here's um, the deal. Language. What's important is I still, I'm, I guess I'm just cl- just proclaiming my ignorance today. Well, you're not the only one. I know. And I'm sure there's a lot of other men and women that don't quite understand uh, certain things about transgender. So the first thing is gender, um, there, there's a bunch of things on here. I'm not going to read it all, but gender identity is, uh, I'll ask you, sweetie, what's gender gender identity? And if you don't know, I'll tell you. Well, I would say gender identity is who you feel you are inside. Okay, very good. Gender expression. How you um, express your, regardless of gender, how you want to appear. Clothing, haircut, yeah. behavior. Yeah. Sexual orientation. That's whether or not you are attracted to men or women. You know what that is. So here's here's transgender. I didn't know this. is an adjective. Mm-hmm. I kind of thought that it could be used as a noun too, but it's very clear. Transgender is an umbrella term for people whose gender identity or gender expression differs from what is typically associated with the sex they were assigned with at birth. Uh, many transgender people... Uh, are prescribed hormones by their doctors. But here's the thing, not all transgender people can or will take those steps. And a transgender identity is not dependent upon, is not dependent upon medical procedures. So what's interesting about that is what that means is you can be born with male genitalia mm-hmm. and identify yourself as a woman for their entire life of course, and never get any hormones, never get any medical procedures. They just identify but themselves. But you know that you're but a you woman. you just know. And mm-hmm. I didn't know that. I yeah. figured you have to be working towards transitioning, but you right. don't. No. I, and the woman that was on um, Oprah, and we talked about her on the show a couple weeks ago. Um, gosh, do you remember her name? She mm-hmm. was on Super Soul Sunday. But she explained that really beautifully about that it really is just an in it's not an external mm. de- definition mm. and we as a society we're so biological and scientific right. that we look at everybody and say you're that you're that yep. and again i know that the black and white people out there who like just love clarity yeah. they're like but that's really how it is right. well that's what we see externally right. but we're missing the big piece the spirit the mm. soul who mm. that person is who they know themselves to be and now we have an understanding, scientific-wise, even that they're – that's not like – obviously, we know it's not a choice, but there's a brain. Yeah. That, that's – they know that. Yeah. You know, it's not just, a, oh, I feel more this way. They just – it's like – I can't even define it. It's like how Daniel Siegel talks about the difference between the brain and the mind. Mm-hmm. He defines the brain as the organ that's connected to the spinal cord. The mind is the undefinable yeah. that makes us who we are. Yeah. So that's kind of how I understand right. all of these things. Um, this this one threw me a curveball. Transsexual. Okay. Yeah. I didn't know what the difference was between a transgen trans the term transgender and the term transsexual. Transsexual is an older term and still preferred by some people who have permanently changed or seek to change their bodies. So transsexual is not an umbrella term the way transgender is. Okay. So it's more specific. Okay. A transgender man, this is kind of basic, but I'm going to say it anyways, are people who are assigned female at birth but identify and live as a man. Uh, Transgender women are people who are assigned male at birth but identify and live as a woman. Wait, you just – oh, you just said these two down here. Yeah. Okay. Right there. Um, cross-dresser. So did you, do, I don't feel like you explained very well the difference between transgender and transsexual. Transgender is an umbrella, t- 
umbrella term for people whose gender identity and or expression differs from what is typically associated with the sex they're assigned at birth. Right. But transsexual is an older term and it's, it originated. Those are the people who have permanently changed their body. Not necessarily. Still preferred by some people who have permanently changed or seek Seek to to change. change their bodies. But it's more specific. Got it. Okay. And it's kind of an older term. It's kind oh, of yeah. like language. Yeah. All right. Uh, crossdresser is typically used uh, used to refer to heterosexual men who occasionally wear clothes, makeup, or accessories uh, culturally associated with women. So this is gender expression. Yes. Um, got a few other things. So here's some rules. Always use a transgender person's chosen name. Correct. Duh, right? Right. Um, whenever possible, ask transgender people which pronoun they would like to use. Now, that that one kind of throws me a little bit of a curveball because if you're going to use their name, you should probably obviously use the pronoun associated with that name, right? Yeah, and I think that that would be the um, – for those – if you didn't know the person – that that would be what you'd go on yeah. is if they if they have already spoken to the world mm-hmm. um, that I am a transgender, mm-hmm. you know, if that I am transgender, then you just assume, right? You know, just like Caitlin, she is now a she, yeah. You yeah. know, and there it, there's no question that needs to be asked. It's never appropriate to put quotation marks around either transgender person's chosen name or pronoun. That's very belittling, mm-hmm. I would assume. Oh, right? for sure. Um, There's something about quotes that it makes it sound like they don't really know what they're doing. Yeah, right. Right. Mm -hmm. And then last one, and there's a bunch, but I can't go through them all because it'll take too much time. But uh, problematic terminology that you should not use are sex change, preoperative or postoperative. I didn't know that. Hmm. The preferred preferred term is transition. Hmm. So you're not supposed to use the term sex change. Well, you know why I I don't – again, I can't speak for the transgender community when I say this. But the way that that sticks with me is that it's a very long process. And so it's not like, oh, I have an operation and it's done. It's it's years and hormones and choices and and treatment. And so transitioning is a process. Right. Um, So that makes sense to me. So that's the deal. So, sweetie, we have 20 minutes left to talk about Cheryl Sandberg. Okay. Um, sounds good. So we are going to talk about this. So I was very, uh, uh, moved by what Cheryl wrote the other day. And just so you know, for those of you who didn't know, I had a women's circle last night and a few of the women weren't even, didn't, didn't know this information that about a month ago, uh, Dave Goldberg died. Um, and that is Cheryl Sandberg's husband. Uh, obviously you guys probably know Cheryl Sandberg. She wrote lean in and she is the COO of Facebook, um, and and he was a very he, successful. He was the the creator of Survey Monkey. Yeah, among so, other things. Among like other really things. high powerful uh, Silicon Valley dude. Absolutely, they were both very um, well known in the mm-hmm. business industry, to say the least. Um, so yes, he had a life of his own yeah. beyond being Sheryl Sandberg's husband. But what I why it really struck me is because in her book and every interview I've seen with Sheryl Sandberg, because I like to follow what she does, I, she's quite the trailblazer. She talks about the reason she can do what she does is because of her partner, mm-hmm. because she the thing that she we have talked about in the show is how the, what she's saying to women is if you choose to choose a partner, choose someone who's on the same page with you about 50-50. Right. You know, all these things we talk about on the show, she's like, I'm living that. Yeah. So to have her lose her husband right. so at such a young age. Right. So he died in a age, terrible accident about a month ago, right? Yeah. I think he he hit his head mm-hmm. um, and there may have been a heart issue. But anyway, so 
Uh, he was young, 40s? Seven, I think. Okay. Yeah. So it's the reason why I thought this was so – I'm not going to read you the whole thing. It's very long. I just want to point out some things. First of all, the fact that um, in the Jewish tradition, when uh, somebody dies, you do what's called sitting shiva for seven days. Mm. And we again, we talked about this at Circle last night. I just think that's an amazing tradition that we should all – do so you basically put your life kind of on hold and grieve like dedicate yes. your life you dedicate to you don't go back to work mm-hmm. you don't and again there's probably some social implications yeah. around it where i think people come to your house they bring you food mm-hmm. your family gets to talk to you that part may be hard for yeah. me but the whole concept of sitting yeah. for seven days and then there's something beyond that um for the first 30 days there is let's see it's called um, Shalom. I can't pronounce it right. So I, I feel like I wouldn't do it service. But you do for the first 30 days is your grieving period for a spouse. Okay. And so after seven days, you can return to work and normal activity. Yeah. Um, but there is basically the reason Cheryl wrote this after 30 days is she had completed that 30-day cycle. So she is kind of just offers us some of the things that she learned. And I think that you know I'm just going to read a few sentences so we can talk about them. She says, I think when tragedy occurs, it presents a choice. You can give in to the void, the emptiness that fills your heart, your lungs, and constricts your ability to breathe, or you can try to find meaning. These past 30 days, I've spent many of my moments lost in a void, and I know that many future moments will be consumed by emptiness as well. But when I can, I want to choose life and meaning. Mm. So, you know, and again, this is more meaningful to her where she could explain her own words, but to me... It's that when we are struck by grief or when we're, you know, something overwhelming happens in our life, of course, we're going to get lost in the void if it be for five minutes, an hour, days, weeks. But can we always come back to looking for what we can, how we can progress and what we can, the word learn is a tough word Mm because I know people will say, I don't want to learn this. Um, I I, I ought not to have this lesson. Right. I don't want this lesson. Um, But what can't, meaning, Mm -hmm. I'll just use the word meaning. Yeah. Um, she said, I'm going to, there's a few things in here that are too moving for me. I'll cry. So I'm not going to read that. Um, I have learned that I have never really knew what to say to others in need. I think I got all this wrong before I tried to assure people it'd be okay. That thinking, thinking that hope was the most comfortable thing I could offer. A friend of mine with late stage cancer told me that the worst thing people could say to him was it's going to be okay. That voice in his head would scream, how do you know it's going to be okay? Don't you understand I might die? I learned this past past month what he's trying to teach me. Real empathy is sometimes not insisting that it will be okay, but acknowledging that it's not. Mm. When people say to me, you and your children will find happiness again, my heart says, yes, I believe that, but I know I will never feel pure joy again. Those, Those who have said, you will find a new normal, but it will never be as good comfort me more. Yeah, for sure. Because they know and they speak my truth. That reminds me of uh, Eckhart, and I don't know if it came from him, but uh, accept the isness of the situation. Absolutely. And the isness is what is happening right now is that Cheryl is in deep despair and sadness and grief, and she doesn't want to be told that things are going to be no. better. It doesn't serve her right now. The person who is saying that to her wants to feel better themselves. Because they're uncomfortable. And, and I'm not 
judging or pointing a finger at that person because we've all been that person. Mm -hmm. But this goes back to what Todd and I talk about with kids. When a kid falls down and skins his knee and we say, get up, you're fine. You're fine. They're not. Yeah. And you You want to know why they're not? Because Because they're crying and they're bleeding. They're crying and bleeding. Yeah. And they hurt themselves and they're trying to tell you. And you can say, oh, I see Mm -hmm. that you hurt. It will heal up. Yeah. But I see right now, you hurt. Yeah. And that's what she's saying in an adult form. Mm-hmm. Don't tell me it's going to be okay. So this is, I thought, great. This is the lesson for us. She said, even a simple how are you, almost asked with the best of intentions, is much better replaced with how, how are you today? Mm. How are you right now? When I am asked, how are you? I stop myself from shouting, my husband died a month ago. Mm. How do you think I am? Yeah. But when I hear, how are you today? I realize the person knows that the best I can do right now is today. That's great. That's a great tool. And that is like, that is, that's present time. Yeah. That's, that's I'm not going to tell you how your life's going to be. That's an expression of presence. You're asking the person, how, how is, what's the barometer of their presence instead of, what does your long-term future look like? That's right. Yeah. And so that person doesn't have to explain. And you know what, what ends up happening? I found this in the midst of my own grief. You as the griever end up helping other people feel better mm-hmm. about yeah, it's you. It's your job to make that person who's having an uncomfortable discourse with you feel better. Right. When they say, how are you? You feel the need to be like, I'm going to be okay. Yeah. And you have to work hard to assure them. When, and when, you're, when you should be in a place where you shouldn't have to work at all. That's right. So empathy mm-hmm. is understanding where somebody is and stepping in their shoes, not to take on their mm-hmm. grief, but to relate to it. The only thing I, I had a friend whose dad just passed away and you know, wakes and services, the, it's all awful. Um, and we all feel uncomfortable. So what I always say, and I don't know where I picked this up, but is just know I'm thinking about you. Oh, yeah. That's it. That's mm-hmm. how I say, I'm, you know, I don't say it's going to be okay. I don't just know I'm sending you love. That's it. Sending you love. I'm thinking about you. I often say I'm sending you good vibes or good thoughts. Um, I'm praying for you. Um, all of those things are a present moment right now while you're in pain, I'm holding you up. Yeah. I'm holding the space for that pain yeah. and know that I know where you are. Yeah. Because sometimes the best recognition when you're grieving is that somebody not only relates and understands your grieving, but allows you to. Yeah. And when you say those kind of things, um, instead of trying to rush them through it, mm-hmm. you say, I'm with you. Yeah. I will sit with you. Even if I'm not literally present with you, I will be with you. So this is some practical stuff that I thought was really great because the girls and I talk about this a lot. I've learned practical stuff that matters. Although we know now that Dave died immediately, I didn't know that when we were in the ab- <clears throat> excuse me, the ambulance. The trip to the hospital was unbearably slow. I still hate every car that did not move to the side. Mm. Every person who cared more about arriving at their destination a few minutes early rather than making room for this ambulance to pass. Mm. I've noticed this while driving in many countries and cities. Let's all move out of the way. Someone's parent or partner or child might depend on it. Mm -hmm. Do you know how often? Because the girls find it really interesting and conversation worthy when I pull over for a police officer for an ambulance. But there's so many people who try to race in front of it or who try and get right behind it to fall in. Oh, my God. Stop. Mm -hmm. Pull over. It's almost you can use it as a opportunity to practice your presence. And you know what I, I miss that doesn't happen as much? And it does if you're in a situation where you're behind them 
or in, you know, in a situation where you need to turn and you can't is a funeral. Mm -hmm. When I was little, people used to pull over for funerals. Yeah. And I don't find that much anymore. Yeah, I remember a story my English teacher told me one time, and it was something to the effect of when he was a little kid, there was a funeral, and everybody, they were all playing football, and uh, they kept playing. And like one was like, we got to stop yes. and observe this, yes. this row of cars that are, are passing us. So yeah, I don't know what the etiquette is on that. Um, there are times- The that- only thing I know is you stop- at a green light when they have a red light. Right. That's the only thing I know to do. And that becomes more of a traffic issue because yeah. when a funeral procession Yeah, they is, need to get there they together. They need to get through together. But I just remember as a kid, and maybe part of my adulthood, that we would pull over. Mm-hmm. So I don't know, I don't know why either. that doesn't happen anymore. Or maybe it does in certain places. And, and maybe I don't need to worry about what everyone else is doing and I just need to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, This is important. I have learned how everything can feel. Um, I get get teary, so I'm going to try this. Any rug you are standing on can be pulled right out from under you with absolutely no warning. In the last 30 days, I have heard from too many women who lost a spouse and then a number of multiple rugs got pulled out from under them. Some lack support and they struggle alone as they face emotional distress and then financial insecurity. It seems wrong to me that we abandon these women and their families when they're in their greatest need. And why I thought that was important is, again, the whole point of her writing this is to wake us up to our life. And that's something we have to know is that a lot of times we look at our lives and we say, well, these are all the things I have and they're kind of annoying or I don't really care that much or, you know, we're not thankful for what we have. Mm -hmm. And it can change in an instant. In an instant. Literally an instant. I've learned to ask for help and I've learned how much help I need. Until now, I have been the older sister, the COO, the doer, and the planner. I did not plan for this event to happen. And when it did happen, I was not capable of doing anything. Those closest to me took over. They planned, they arranged, they told me where to sit, and they reminded me to eat. They are still doing so much to support me and my children. And there's two things in that. Number one, that that we have to accept help, mm-hmm. and do we have to wait till crisis? Yeah. And number two, yeah. when people are grieving, we have to help them. Yeah. Because they don't remember to eat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, tell them when to eat. Tell them when to eat. Kind of like a doula. Um, when, when you're going when through you're, birth. Yeah. yeah. When you're delivering a baby is. Um, the, in this respect, Cheryl should not expend any energy on anything because all of her energy should be channeled inwards towards, you know, grief, grief, and maybe her kids. Mm-hmm. So exactly that do everything for them. And, and that's the thing. I think people rally like, because people feel so useless, right? Well, I can get you dinner or I can call the funeral home for you. Right. I can do all these things it's for It's very you. natural to say it, to go to food. Yeah. And because it's comfort yeah. and because it's absolutely necessary, yeah. you can't go three days without eating. We, someone needs to bring you food. The Flanagan stew, sweetie. I know. When Todd's mom died, our good friends came over and brought us a huge pot of stew and it probably got us through how many days? I ate it for like a week. Yes. It mm-hmm. was amazing. Um, but remember in Sleepless in Seattle, when Tom Hanks is saying, um, I just remember to get up and breathe. And that's really all he, I mean, of course he had to take care of his son and go to work, but it takes effort to breathe in the world without your partner. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, 
I just feel like that if we can understand it at that core level, then you understand why it might help to come over and do someone's laundry right. or to bring them food. They can't tolerate that. Yeah. Um, so are you bringing something up? I was trying to find the Tom Hanks line, but okay. I'm having a hard time of it. Okay. So she goes on to say that she learned about, and I found this really great because Todd and I did a show about this. She's learned about resilience and she said, I understand that resilience can be learned. Her friend taught her that there are three critical elements to resilience, personalization, realizing it's not her fault. Um, she, he said, she said, I have banned the word. I'm so sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, to tell myself over and over, this is not my fault. Permanence, remembering that I won't feel this way forever, and pervasiveness. This does not have to affect every area of my life and that I can compartmentalize. Mm. And why she says that is the next section that I won't read. She says she goes back to work. Yeah. And that you can – pervasiveness means it doesn't have to leak into every single aspect. Well, and that's interesting. And we, we're running – close to out of time. But what's interesting about that is we talk about the male and the female and mm-hmm. female is spaghetti and everything yes. is interconnected. It's all pervasive. Whereas yeah. men are waffles and everything is compartmentalized. So it seems like she's getting a little bit of a lesson in the ability to section certain parts of her life because if she, the grief could dominate everything yes, and paralyze her. That's right. Paralyze us. She, you won't be able to function, and that is, you know. And again, I know we have a time issue, but children who are traumatized, abused, this is the reason that they, that some of them, a very small percentage, get what is called um, disassociative disorder. It used to be called multiple personality disorder because they start to disassociate within themselves and compartmentalize in such an extreme way that the abused part of them can no longer stay connected to their everyday person. Yeah. So they create different personalities yeah. to be able to survive. Yeah. That's their that's the brain's ability to compartmentalize to handle, to handle the world. Yeah. So our brain knows to do this. Yeah. Now that's an extreme yeah. example, but she what she's saying is sometimes you have to use these defense mechanisms to live. Yeah. And there's so much more, but I'll read um the last few highlights of this. She said, I've learned gratitude, real gratitude for things that I took for granted before, like life. Um, I rejoice in that my children are alive. I appreciate every smile, every hug. I no longer take days for granted. When a friend told me that he hates birthdays, so he was not going to celebrate his, I looked at him and said through tears, celebrate your birthday, goddammit. You are lucky to have each one. Mm -hmm. Focus on the good. Yes. Give as much attention to the good. Doesn't mean ignore the bad. But give some attention to the good as well. Well, and you, you're you here another year. Mm-hmm. You know, like everyone's so worried about, but then someone will know I'm in my 40s. Or somebody will know <laughs> that I'm happy. <laughs> yes. It's called happy birthday. It's not called sad birthday. It's I'm here another year. Yeah. I was just granted another mm-hmm. day. So um, so this is the the last thing. And I thought this was really powerful. I was talking to one of my friends about a father-child activity in the school, Mm -hmm. and Dave is not here to do it. So we came up with a plan to fill in for Dave. I cried to him, but I want Dave. I want option A. And this man put his arm around me and said, option A is no longer available. So let's just kick the shit out of option B. Yeah. So I can't read the last one. uh, Paragraph. Uh, last parent, yeah. the very last. Uh-huh. Dave, to honor your memory and raise your children as they deserve to be raised, 
I promise to do all I can to kick the shit out of option B. And even through shalosm that is the 30 day has ended i still mourn for option a i will always mourn for option a as bono saying there is no end to grief there is no end to love i love you dave it's wonderful yeah it's wonderful and that, i mean we didn't even pull out all of it because yeah. we didn't have time but yeah. so for those of you who have not read that yet um, we'll put it in the show notes. It will put it in the show notes, but you could also go to Cheryl Sandberg's page. I put it on the Zen Parenting Radio page. And um, I just think that these are the things that wake us up to why we're upset that <clears throat> our haircut wasn't right. Yeah. And that we have to kind of look at the big picture. Keep it in perspective. And instead of having sympathy for this person and saying, oh, I feel so sorry for you, learn from her. Right. Pull from her because... All of us have either experienced it or we have to someday. So let's all bond together and support each other. Good job, sweetie. Thank you. All right. Um, Thank you, everybody. We'll catch you next week for another podcast of ZenParentingRadio.com. And if you you plan to go to uh, the Zen Parenting Radio conference, jump on our Kickstarter. That's right. We need you. Love it. Adios. Have a good week. And...